0: Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. To grab our Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 66 today and I'll read verses 10 through 12 for us now as we prepare to hear from Rich Sylvester as he helps us continue in our summer sermon series titled, The Lord Tests. For you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. The psalmist calls the tested
1: to worship together. Let me say that again. The psalmist calls the tested to worship Together. Did you hear him? Shout for joy, everybody. Sing of God's glory. Say to God, How awesome are your deeds! Come, the psalmist said, Come and see. Bless our God, all you people. Come, the psalmist invites, Come and hear about. The goodness of God. The psalmist calls the tested to worship together. We've been in a series this summer entitled, The Lord Tests. The Bible is clear. God tests us. And as we've looked at these different tests in Scripture, we've, we've looked for tools for the testing. We've looked at various tools that we can use as we encounter various tests in our life as disciples, as parents, as spouses, as family members, as churchgoers. We experience tests. We've looked at the tools of trust, of remembering, of obedience, of repentance, of hope, and of waiting. And as we approach the book of Psalms this morning, as we approach the, the song book for life, the prayer book of our life, as we look at Psalm 66, I believe that we discover that another tool for our testing is the tool of worship. And specifically, corporate worship. Specifically, worshiping Together that the psalmist says that what we're doing right now is a great tool for times of testing. And so again, the psalmist calls the tested to worship together. He's calling his people. He's calling his community. He's calling the whole world to worship because the psalmist knows that during times of testing, worship is crucial. But I have a question for you. Have you ever found it difficult to come and worship? Have you ever, in the midst of your testing, found it difficult to come and worship together? Sometimes it may be as simple as a busy schedule kids' sporting events, the job puts a shift on a Sunday morning. We've got visits to have, grandkids to see, places to go. And we can't fit worship into our calendar. Well, the psalmist calls the tested and says, worship together. But it's not just the busyness of our lives that can get in the way. There's other deeper spiritual realities that can prevent us from wanting to gather and worship together. Sometimes it's the feeling of guilt and shame in our life. Every Sunday we have a a pastor that's a floating pastor, a pastor that doesn't have a role in the Sunday service, and we, we walk the building. We see what's going on. We see where we're needed and so often I find people sitting on the, the edges of the church building, in the blue chairs by the library, or off in the cafeteria, and I'll, I'll start up a conversation and I'll often say, Why aren't you in there worshiping this morning? And sometimes they say, I don't feel worthy this morning. I have too much guilt this morning. But if you feel that way, the psalmist is calling to you and inviting you to worship together. It's not just busyness. It's it's not just feelings of guilt and shame that can keep us from wanting to worship. Sometimes it's just that we're too angry with God. We feel like he has not held up his end of the deal. As we go through different trials, as we experience broken relationships, As we encounter trauma and and difficulty and pain, we can grow angry with God and frustrated with God, and we can say, God, I don't even want to worship you right now. Last month, I interacted with a friend whose child had gone through a severe accident. And I said to my friend, I said, I haven't seen you at church for a while. Do you think you can come worship And she said to me in honesty, she said, I tried, but I don't want to right now. It's too hard. Maybe someday, but I'm not worshiping right now. In the midst of our testing, we can feel like we don't want to worship, but the psalmist is calling the tested to worship together. Yes, as I look at Psalm 66, I am convinced that the psalmist is giving us a call to worship. The psalmist is saying to each of us, whatever it is that's holding you back, come and worship together. I love a good call to worship. Every Sunday we have a call to worship. Every Sunday after the band plays or inside the organ prelude, one of our praise team members gets up and and gives us all a call to worship. It's printed right on our sheets. It's a call to come and to worship together. I have grown very much to appreciate Tommy Varab's brain in all things worship. Tommy is our worship arts director. You'll see him standing on his tippy toes, playing the guitar, leading us in worship each week. And I texted him this week, and I said, Tommy, give me a couple lines on a good definition for a call to worship. And in great Tommy Varab style, he made me cry as I read the text back to him. This is what Tommy said. Give or take a few words, Tommy. I edited your text a little bit. Texts are a little choppy and you misspell things, that's all. (laughs) I said, what's a call to worship? And Tommy texted back. I saw the bubbles come and then the text started coming and he said, a call to worship is a call from the world into the kingdom. It's a call to move from isolation into fellowship. It's a call from the false narratives and lies into the truth of God's word. It's a call from self-centeredness to self-giving as Christ is revealed and given for us. More texts came. He said, in fact, it's both an invitation and a command that the call to worship is a command in that God is God. He is creator and king, worthy to be praised, whose enemies come cringing to him. The call, Tommy said, is an invitation in that God is father and most fully and reliably known in his son, Jesus, who specifically and clearly says, follow me. Come to me. This morning, the psalmist is calling the tested to worship together. Come and hear. Come and see. Shout for joy. Come and worship together. One of the things that I find most refreshing in this psalm is the psalmist understands what it looks like to struggle. The psalmist understands what it looks like to be in the midst of a test. The psalmist understands what it feels like to go, I'm not sure I want to worship today. We read the psalmist's words. You can look on your pieces of paper where scripture's printed with me. If you read starting in verse 8, the psalmist says this, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. When we're struggling, the psalmist understands our struggle. This picture that he paints for us, he says, God, it's like you've put a net over us. Like hunting a wild animal, we feel trapped and caught, we've lost our sense of control. He says it's like a burden on our back. So often in a test, we're we're given a role we never wanted, a predicament we never chose for ourselves. The psalmist says these tests feel like they're riding, the enemy is riding on our heads. He knows the crushing reality of life and of death. The psalmist says these tests feel like fire, like a city that's been conquered, all your security lost, your life upended. It's like watery floods that flow through unexpectedly, tragedies that come out of nowhere. I'm convinced as I read this psalm that the psalmist understands our struggle the psalmist gets it when we say, I'm not sure I want to worship. And in the midst of that struggle, the psalmist raises his voice loud and says, all you who are tested, come and worship together. Yes, the psalmist calls the tested. The psalmist invites the tested, the the psalmist commands the tested, come and worship together. So I guess that leaves an important question we need to ask ourselves. Why? Why is worshiping together so important? Why does the psalmist say, don't neglect worshiping together together? And if we were to talk on worship, I'm sure that we could have a whole sermon series on worship. But let's focus on one thing this morning. I believe the psalmist is calling the tested to worship together because the psalmist understands that when we worship together, it changes our perspective on the test that when we come and worship together, it changes our perspective on the test that we are going through. It helps us see the bigger picture. It helps us understand that God is God and I am not. And I believe the psalmist wants us to see the power in this in two ways, that our perspective can be changed in worship in two ways. And the first is this, the psalmist wants us to proclaim who God is. Let's read those first four verses together, or I'll read them for you. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you they sing praises to your name in the midst of our testing the psalmist wants to remember that god is god that he is still in control that he is god and he is still good that he is powerful and all-knowing that he's the creator of the universe who spoke into existence with his words, everything we see, he hung with his hands, the galaxies that we see all around us in the night sky, that this God has us and has not forgotten us. And when we worship this God, the truth of God, of who God is, gets pushed deeper down into our hearts. It gets pushed deeper into our brains And as we hand over our hopes and our fears, our deepest loves and our greatest trusts, as we put this all before this incredibly huge, omnipresent, omnipotent God, well, we see that at times we've designed for ourselves a God that isn't the true God, but instead we meet the God that loves us, and cares for us and moved through time and space to save us. I'm not a big social media guy, but last year I had to download Twitter. It's the only way that the athletic director at Lafayette High School communicates with parents. Go Rams! And uh, Hudson, my my oldest son, started playing Lafayette football. And uh, don't boo that, come on Grace. Go Rams. Go Eagles. No, well, fly, Eagles, fly. We love them all, but go Rams. State champs. And anyway, as I was trying to figure out Twitter, which I still haven't figured out, and I've never tweeted anything myself, I I got all these suggestions from Twitter on who to follow and who not to follow, and I don't know how it knows me. But it said, you want to follow Tim Keller on Twitter? And I said, sure, I'll follow Tim Keller. So I follow the athletic director of Lafayette, and I follow Tim Keller. That's the only people I follow on Twitter. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City, and I've come to appreciate his ministry. Over the pandemic, Tim Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And one of his tweets, I don't know how he fits a whole sermon into a tweet. We could all learn from him. But he said this, he said, I have stage four pancreatic cancer. But, he said, it is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know. And therein is my hope and strength that when we come and worship, we, we interact, we see the picture of this great, immense God that, that we can't figure out always, but we know, we know that he is bigger than we could ever imagine. He is more powerful than we could ever think. And our life is in his hands But let me get real practical here for a moment. Because I know that some of you come this morning going, I I didn't want to come worship. Maybe you're struggling through a test and and worshiping was hard for you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. But then there's other of of us that come this morning and and we're ready to worship. And I want to say the community needs that. That those of you who are here that are struggling, the rest of us are here to sing about this God for you. Look, as we read in Psalm 66, as we come to verse 16, the psalmist changed from this plural, third-person plural language to this personal use of I, and he says, come in hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. When people in our community come who are struggling to worship, who are in the midst of a trial, they need the rest of us to sing for them. To sing with them, to help them remember who God is. Because when they get a picture of who God is and what He has done in our lives, their perspective on their test can change. So the psalmist calls the tested to worship together, one, by declaring who God is, and secondly, by declaring what he has done. If we read in verse five through verse seven, the psalmist says, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves the psalmist says that when we come to worship together we also worship and proclaim what god has done and here the psalmist points back to this incredible salvation moment in the history of israel right kids for 400 years story that the israelites were enslaved in egypt for 400 years and they cried out to god rescue us And God raised up Moses to deliver them. And through Moses, God used his power to change Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh let the people of Israel go. And the people of Israel left Egypt. And as they walked, they found themselves camped on the edge of the sea. And right around this moment, Pharaoh said, You know what? I want those Israelites back. And Pharaoh sent his army the most deadly, powerful army that the world had seen to that point. And there were the Israelites caught in the middle. On one side, the sea. On the other side, Pharaoh's army of death, encircled by death. And what did God do? God split the waters of the sea. And the Israelites walked through on dry land. And when Pharaoh's army entered the sea, the waters crashed over them. And the army was killed. The jaws of death were defeated. The psalmist says, don't forget what God has done. And as Christians on this side of the cross, we don't just look back to the rescue of the Israelites. We look back to the ultimate Moses, the greatest rescue, Jesus Christ. God himself that in our inability to save ourselves, encircled by death, by the result of our own sin, by the brokenness in the world, Jesus entered it. And he didn't part the sea, he parted the grave itself. That Jesus died on the cross, taking our sin, our brokenness, our shame, our guilt, and bringing it into the grave. Three days later, he rose to life, and he said, if you want this life, believe in me. And when we come to worship together, we proclaim this. I don't know if you've noticed, but every week, Tommy and Bill, when they put together the worship service, the gospel story is in there. We sing of this great, awesome God. We acknowledge our sinfulness and our need for a savior. We sing of Jesus' great work of salvation, and then we respond. We respond by giving back to God what he's given to us. We respond by singing praises to his name. We respond by giving glory to Jesus. We respond by saying to families, we will pray for you and love you. We respond, and then ultimately we go out and we live out that gospel message. I challenge you to find it every week on the worship service. Every week we declare the goodness of the gospel because I'm convinced that the gospel is enough and that whatever you're going through, whatever test we encounter, Jesus Christ is enough. And so the psalmist says, all of you who are being tested, come and worship together. About two years ago, I had a conversation with a friend. This friend had grown up in the church. This friend had had Christian parents. But this friend had experienced some really awful things that had happened to him. We had gone through some really tough scenarios, and as I talked with my friend, my friend said to me, "Rich, I don't believe in this stuff anymore. I just can't." And I looked at my friend and I said, "Look, you don't have to believe anything right now, but can I ask you one thing?" I said to my friend, "I said, just keep going to church." Just keep worshiping with that community. And when you can't declare the goodness of God, they'll declare it for you. And when you can't see God's gospel truth in your life, they will show it to you. Just don't stop going to worship. And a year and a half later after that conversation, I had another phone call from my friend. And he said, Rich, something happened today. And I said, what? And he said, today I got baptized at my church. Because the psalmist calls the tested to worship together. Because when we don't want to worship, the community worships for us. When we can't see the goodness of God, the community will declare it for us. When we can't see the gospel truth, the community will help us see it. And so whether you're being tested or not, the psalmist says, don't stop worshiping together.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.